0: Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God.
1: Welcome to Walking Through the Book. I'm Stephen McCrary. And I'm Bryant Bales. And today we'd like to talk with you concerning the Bible, especially we want to look at Exodus chapters 1 and chapter 2. Walking Through the Book is all about these three things. We want to encourage Bible reading. We want to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the Bible. And we want to emphasize what the text says, no more and no less. We're so thankful for you taking the time to listen to the podcast today, and we hope that our time together is spent well and it's profitable for you as useful for you as it has been for us and uh, Brian it took a lot of my willpower to not say we're gonna be looking at Genesis chapters one and two right. uh, that time because I'm totally used to going through the book of Genesis oh definitely yeah it's been it's been a while would we spend like a full year on Genesis it was more than that wasn't it yes it it felt like when you're um, you know when you have a Bible class in a congregation that just sort of seems to drag on forever. It's funny. <laughs> no, I, I, I was, uh, you know, I think looking at it in that way, at least for our purposes, I think was useful. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, part of that too, is that, uh, we had a number of weeks where we, we just weren't able to get together. And, mm-hmm. and again, just yeah. to, to help for the sake of our listeners, um, the, the life of an evangelist, not to paint it in, uh, too busy a lot per se, but you know, sometimes you have things in your life that just come up. And, uh, and especially if you're trying to be a minister and evangelist to, at a local congregation, you need to make the time. And we've always had a precedent. Uh, Bryant and I agreed before we started this program that we would never let this work overtake our local work with the congregation mm-hmm. that we seek to to help and, and work with. So, uh, so I think we've upheld that uh, to some degree. Uh, how successful we are is another thing. But um, but as we go forward in Exodus, I think uh, one of the things that we want to keep in mind is that you know this is the story of God's people. And we see in the book of Exodus, they're coming together as a people in the way that God intends for them to be. Uh, wouldn't you say, Brian? Uh, I'm sorry. I was looking something up. But <laughs> What's same your question? Old, same old Brian. <laughs> yeah. We're we're not in Genesis anymore, but it's the same. No, uh, <laughs> no that's okay. Uh, no, I was just saying that, that you know, you have the continuing story of God's people in the book of Exodus, and they become a nation. Um, you know, they, they go to Exodus, uh, excuse me, they go to Egypt, um, you know, just about 70 people in all. And we'll mm-hmm. talk more about that as time goes on. But this is where they actually become uh, a full-fledged nation. Right. Stay. Yeah, I think there's some key verses
0: in Exodus. And one of them, I think, is Exodus 29, actually. Uh, Exodus 29, 45 and 46, um, where he says, uh, I will dwell among the sons of Israel and will be their God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So that I think that's like one of the main points of the entire book, is everything God is doing is to dwell among the nation of people you know and he he makes them a very certain kind of nation exodus chapter 19 he refers to making them he refers to it as making them a holy nation because of that fact he wants to have fellowship with these people that's exodus uh 19 verse 6 um so i i think that's just a really important thing is it's not just that You know, God is fulfilling promises and just, you know, taking them out of Egypt. But there's there's such a purpose behind all of this that God has in his own mind.
1: Yes. And, uh, you know, related to that, you can see in chapter six where uh, it says in verse two, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob as God almighty. But by Mm. my name, Lord, I was not known to them. Mm-hmm. I've also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And he goes on from there. But you know, just as a, as a form of transition from the book of Genesis to Exodus, it helps us to know that there is a shift in the relationship here, where uh, we had these personal relationships with God's patriarchs with these men in the book of Genesis. And now it really is a more generalized. At the, I say generalized, and that, that's probably not the best term to use. But uh, this is something where God is extending that relationship to to a nation, right? And uh, and and because of that, I think there there is a hint there toward the authority of God, and that's where you see so many times, "I am the Lord," "I am the Lord God," uh, things such as that. So so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob recognized him as God Almighty, and I think they did recognize his authority to some degree, but I don't think that was really as central to the relationship as it will be now with the nation of Israel, if that makes sense. Right. Mm-hmm. So, well, uh, Bryant... Um, why don't you go over sort of the flow of the program, what we're going to be doing just for the sake of any listeners that might be new to the podcast and, uh, Absolutely. uh you know, go over kind of who you are and where you, where you come from as well.
0: <laughs> so I'm Bryant Bales and I hail from, uh, originally Minnesota where I was born. Um, now I'm, uh, I'm preaching in Savannah, Georgia, uh, with, a group of brethren who meet on the western side of downtown Savannah, a town called Garden City, which is one of the uh, one of the connecting little towns to the greater Savannah metropolitan area. Um, if you're ever in the area, uh, we meet at 4506 Augusta Road. Pretty easy to find. It's, it's find. It's on the side of a major um, major road that uh, is pretty well pretty well traveled. Um, Our website is GardenCityCOC.org, and we have a Facebook page as well, if you'd like to look us up on Facebook. Um, And you can contact me at my personal email if you'd like to, CartoonGuy5 at Hotmail.com. Kind of a silly email, but uh, I'm kind of a silly person, so it just kind of works. Anyway, so uh, the flow of the program, we've been trying to keep a a consistent... um, way of looking at the text to keep it really simple and easy to follow. Uh, And like what Stephen has already said, we're just trying to get as much as we can out of simple Bible reading. So we start off by just reading through the text. And today that's going to be Exodus chapters one and two. And after we read through the text, we just make some brief initial observations. And after making some initial observations, we look at themes, uh, anything that might connect to the greater history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament, uh, whether it be um, connections of events or connections of principles, spiritual applications, or even things that extend as far as Christ and the New Testament writings. And we always try to finish the program uh, looking for some applications that we can make from the text. And um, it's always, a for me, that's always a very powerful section of our our time together, um, where we get to take something that we can um, try to hold in our hearts and 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 kind of make everything that we've been talking about a little more real and and permanent. Uh, so
1: that's that's the flow of
0: what we'll be uh, doing today. Very good.
1: And I do want to mention as well that you can find this podcast and other podcasts on northcolumbuschristians.com. That's the website of the congregation that I work with and worship with in Columbus, Mississippi. We'd love to have you anytime you're in the area to come and visit with us. Uh, there is an air base here, so if you're uh, part of the Air Force or uh, related to that at any point and you come to the air base in uh, Columbus, Mississippi, we'd love to have you visit with us in uh, at the, the North Columbus Church of Christ. Again, North Columbus Christians is our website, NorthColumbusChristians.com. Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were seventy persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And it happened in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shiphrah, and the name of the other, Puah. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and saved the male children alive? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very mighty. And so it was, because the midwives feared God, that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive.
0: Chapter 2 Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got him a wicker basket and covered it over with tar and pitch. Then she put the child into it and set it among the reeds by the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to find out what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the Nile with her maidens walking alongside the Nile, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid, and she brought it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the boy was crying. And she had pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go ahead. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. The child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses and said, Because I drew him out of out of the water. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other, and he said to the offender, Why are you striking your companion? But he said, Who made you a prince or a judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. When they came to Reuel, their father, he said, Why have you come back so soon today? So they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and what is more, he even drew the water for us and watered the flock. He said to his daughters, Where is he then? Why is it that you have left the man behind? Invite him to have something to eat." Moses was willing to dwell with the man, and he gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses. Then she gave birth to a son, and he named him Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God took notice of them.
1: So let's talk about what's actually in these uh, chapters. And as we begin Exodus, um, it, you know, quite a long time it seems has passed uh, because all of a sudden we find out in verse 6 that Joseph has died. And uh, we see the initial move has happened over there, and we see that the, the children of Israel are actually growing, and, uh, and the nation uh, is taking shape right now. And we immediately see this uh, confrontation brewing, brewing, excuse me. So what what were some things that kind of jumped out at you in that reading, Bryant?
0: I think one thing that makes God's word so amazing is the ability God gives us to like read things as if it's the first time, just because the way God has done things is so incredible. And really one initial observation I have is just how exhilarating and unexpected all of this is. Like if, if I was reading this for the first time, you know, Genesis is such an exhilarating book, like, wow, just the, all the crazy accounts that were in Genesis and then it ends with Joseph and there all this, this momentum with the blessings on the children. And then Joseph, you know, there's this, ah man, there's just like edge of your seat anticipation where he says, okay you know make sure you take my bones you know out of here when God brings you out you know at the end of at the end of Genesis chapter 50 and then in Exodus chapter 1 you know the the pharaoh forgets about Joseph and and it's like i i know because of the promises in Genesis that they're supposed to come out of the nation but how crazy and unexpected is it that this is how it happens is through the Egyptians like dominating themselves over the Hebrews and trying to kill their sons and you know, the more they afflict them, the more prosperous they become. And I don't know, all, all of this to me is just, it's so incredible how all of this happens. You know, it's 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 just so amazing that it's, it's better than, you know, the stories that people try to write, you know, through fiction, uh, just the way it all happens. It's just, it's so amazing.
1: How many ways in verse seven does Moses tell us that the children of Israel are growing? You know, they were fruitful. <laughs> yeah. They increased abundantly, they multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was That's filled great. with That's them. A great That's point. five different ways that he emphasizes how fast that they were growing. And I don't think there's anything supernatural happening here, but I think through God's providence, He is bringing this about. I, I don't think this is right a coincidence per se. Um, no, definitely not. Yeah, and so and and we see one of the early points too, where, where you see the Lord, uh, basically pitting his nation against, uh, at that time, arguably the greatest nation, uh, that had ever existed, um, at least as far as power, so to speak. It's almost like God is instigating and pushing this along
0: as fast as possible. Yes. You know, like God's not responsible for the evils of Pharaoh and the things he was doing but God it's all right. Let's see. I'm going to try to connect a couple thoughts here. So I'm reading Elisha and Elijah, uh, preparation for some sermons I'm going to be teaching next year. And the widow of Zarephath, when she, uh, she had Elijah in her house in first Kings 17, her son dies from a sickness and accuses, uh, Elijah of bringing her sin to remembrance and causing her son to die. She accuses God of causing her son to die. Um, Elijah then proceeds to raise the child from, a, from the dead. Uh, and it's the first resurrection of that kind in the Bible. Um, and it reminds me also of Jesus with Judas when he tells Judas go and what you do, do quickly, you know, there's, so there. There's these instances in Scripture where calamity comes, tragedy comes upon um, people, and it's, it sometimes seems as if God is the one responsible or urging it on. But each time, it's it's because God is seeking to glorify His promise, and it's not that it's not that He's responsible for the evil, but He's using the wickedness of people to hurry His glory along so that redemption and salvation can come. Uh, which which is amazing to see, and and I think that might even be uh, a principle behind the Book of Job, which is very famous for being a place to go when you're thinking about you know suffering and how God can use suffering. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Stephen? I don't know if if I've communicated that that principle well at all with those examples.
1: Well, you know, I, I think what goes into this is that the Hebrews did not work to bring the suffering upon themselves. Right. Um, Right. It is the Pharaoh that decides to uh, make the children of Israel serve with rigor and, and work them with hard bondage. And let me say this too. uh, People talk about slavery being in the Bible and slavery is something you find in the old law, but relative to what you find here. Um, What the Egyptians have with the Hebrews is what I would call harsh slavery, slavery that is you're you're bounding this upon these people that you look at as inferior, linking up this back to Genesis. And again, I, I think this fits for this segment because we're looking backward and linking up some things that we've seen so far. The Hebrews are an abomination to the Egyptians because of their practice as herdsmen. And Genesis tells us that at least two times. And so here's a situation where a race uh, of people that already is looked at as an abomination, they're going to be marginalized and they're going to be used for this grunt work for the sake of the quote unquote superior people. Um, and that's unjust, that's wrong. And God, you know, as we as we see in this kind of, you know, is so important to recognize at the end of chapter two, where we see, you know, God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. God, God appreciates what they're going through. And, and uh, in, in, in the, in the scope of this, I think there is a sense where through that suffering that, that, that they learned uh, some things that they needed to learn. Um, and I don't think that was intentional. I think that was intentional in terms of God, but it wasn't intentional in the term of Pharaoh, and it wasn't intentional in the term of the Hebrews themselves. What what do you think about the um, the Hebrew midwives? Because number one, they're rebelling against the, the authority. They're rebelling against the king. And furthermore, they lie to the king. And God blesses them for this. Right. You know, every part of our uh, mindset as a Christian is screaming out, well, this, this doesn't make sense. This is wrong, what they're doing. But then... There's something to be said about the situation, right? I think, I think part of what needs to be said here is that that these Hebrew women were willing to rebel against their own uh, government or their own king for the sake of what's right. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Uh, what, what would you have to say about that, Brian?
0: Well, I, I talked to um, a brother about this recently who um, preaches in Atlanta You know, there's a lot of things like we've talked about already in Genesis, where you see God extending mercy when you know that there's been sin. And there's really two ways of looking at that. You can either think, oh, well, I guess there might be some circumstances where God must approve of something like this. Or the latter, which I think is the proper view, is to actually have a greater sense of fear and reverence toward God, recognizing how much mercy was being extended in being willing to use what was clearly not only imperfect, but when we know through retrospect that the lie itself was sinful, to know that God chose to use that and bless these midwives in their good deed, it shows to me how far God is willing to go in his grace to magnify that which is good, even when there are other things around it. That he could instead choose to punish and accuse people for, uh, and again, I think that the purpose of that is actually to cause us to have a greater sense of fear and respect uh, toward God, not a more laxadaisical view to think, well, there must be circumstances where lying might actually be okay. I, I really don't think that's the lesson, and I would I would strongly disagree with with uh, that 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 kind of application. You know, I think it's it simply. It's simply meant to, I think, um, heighten the glory of of God's
1: mercy rather than um, cause us to view his judgments more lightly. Well, I would add to that. I think there is an application here, a direct application in terms of if you know that something is the right thing to do and yet your government is telling you not to do it. I think that's where right. you th- that's where the application is and I think that's very clearly absolutely uh, applied in terms of the text I mean the text bears that out in Acts chapter chapters 4 and 5 you know we should obey God rather than men that's what Peter tells the Sanhedrin and so that principle is there and I think that is something that's applicable uh, I would agree with you in the sense that there there is no sense there is no case where we can make an application and say, well, it's okay in certain situations to withhold the truth or to lie. Um, you know, so, so I, I think, I think that point is well made, but, uh, but I did want to make that point too. That I think there is an aspect there too, but we see in verse 20, therefore God dealt well with the midwives. So their, right. their uh, importance, the the importance they showed toward uh, saving these boys that were being born uh that 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 becomes really important yeah and it is amazing how much compassion god had on those
0: midwives too i imagine i imagine that uh there was fear involved in their response and it, it's just amazing how compa- I, that, that's what this this whole series of of events really screams is just the greatness of god's compassion and it's amazing that that god was heightening those things and the way that he's now choosing to deliver these people. And, um, you know, it makes me think about something we talked about early on in Genesis, where we talked about, um, how Isaac was given experiences by the providence of God, where he would himself relive the covenant of his father so that he would discover it himself and take it more personally. You know, and I wonder if that's not what's happening here as well as, you know, God is actually blessing the people with suffering because they'll be able to experience things where they'll cling to the covenant of God. And ideally when, when he brings them out of Egypt, you know, they'll have such a deep and profound love for him and view of him, which, you know, would only make it more devastating than when they don't, you know, so it just seems like God's compassion is, is just so magnified in the beginning of this story.
1: Let's, uh, let's move forward to where we see, uh, in verse one a man of the house of Levi went and took his wife a, a daughter of Levi we know from later on in chapter six that this is uh, uh this is amram and Jochebed, which uh, I don't know if that's the actual uh right pronunciation of that I've heard of different pronunciations but regardless uh, these are the parents of Moses and uh, you know don't we're, we're talking about the faith of the Hebrew midwives how about these uh the faith of these two parents. The woman conceived and bore a son, yeah. When she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. And, and you know, the text doesn't tell us that Amram is a part of this hiding per se, but he must have known what was going on. Um and, mm-hmm. and that must have been something that he approved of. So you can see this great faith of of him and her in, in hiding him for this time.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah cuz doesn't Hebrews 11 uh talk about how she did this in faith as well which is really interesting.
1: Right. And we we want to kind of touch on that in a little bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah. Um what what were some other things that you know there were there were always some things that are really interesting to me in the way that chapter 2 plays out because again mm-hmm. a lot of the movies tend to get it wrong. Uh, there is this sense that the a lot of the movies I've seen seem to communicate this sense where uh, Moses just didn't know his parentage; he didn't know the, right, the place right. that he was from, and he just he finds out someday, and it's this big shock. Um, I would suggest that the text shows us plainly that he knew all along that he was a Hebrew, and uh, you know, the text plainly says that the daughter of Pharaoh finds him in the bulrushes of the river. Mm-hmm and we see that uh Miriam his sister suggests that her mother watch the child and so at the very least here is uh Jochebed and she is nursing him and what a what a great moment of grace that that God has mm-hmm. toward Jochebed and the family where she at least has this opportunity to be some influence in his life as he grows up and uh I, I have no doubt that at some point he, he knew who his mother was and he, he knew who his sister and his brother were. Um, mm-hmm. just really interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely seems implied that
0: Moses had a great awareness about all of that.
1: There's even, uh, I want to mention this too, and I think this fits here. I'm not quite sure, but, um, when you read in the the writings of Josephus, and now Josephus was not an inspired author, but Josephus has a whole chapter in his Antiquities where he talks about how Moses was a general for Egypt against the Ethiopians. Have you ever read that, Bryant? Hmm, That's interesting. No, I haven't. It's a little fascinating, and it kind of, to me, if that's the case, it makes it a little bit more fascinating, uh, not more fascinating than how the text says it, but it, it, it might explain some of the things that happen in the latter part of this chapter. He's looking at his own, you know, the, the burdens of his people. And um, regardless of whether that general part is true or not, whether, you know, whether what Josephus wrote is true or not, what seems to be happening to me, and I, I'd like your thoughts here, Bryant. it seems to me that Moses is trying to uh, just jump out there and save his people immediately. And maybe even sort of on his own. Is that what you get out of the text or am I reading too far into it?
0: No, I think, um, it seems like there's, so I'm going to get ahead just a little bit, um, in, in, in responding to that. Cause, uh, you know, it seems like his mother was aware of the promise of deliverance and that, um, that was a part of the motivation of hiding and giving her son uh, into the, into the, putting his son, her son into the basket. And then, you know, Moses as well. um, Doing this is in the book of Acts in chapter seven, Stephen's speech. Um, Stephen accredits this to that motive that you just mentioned. So I think that's, that's definitely a, a likely,
1: a likely thing, if not definitely the, the motive that it seems he had. He, he tries to even, you know, work out something between two Hebrews and they're saying, hey, who, who made you a prince and judge over us? Right. And that 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 even implies that he's he's trying to take a leadership role among the Hebrews. And they're just basically saying, we're not having this. And mm-hmm. uh, and he recognizes, oh, well, surely someone knows about this or this has become known. And we see that Pharaoh hears about it and he tries to kill Moses and Moses flees. Uh, we see a moment where he comes to Midian and gets in touch with uh, Jethro. He's called Ruel here, but I think we're talking about the same mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Bryant. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. Yeah. So he uh, he has this interaction with his daughters there and uh, helps them to water their, their flock. Uh, sometimes, you know, it seems that the shepherds, drove them away, but Moses uh, stood up and helped them and watered their flock, verse 17. And uh, they go and tell their father about this, and Ruel basically says, where is he? Why have you left him? Call him that he may eat bread. You know, it's really, I I mean, think about the hospitality that Ruel has here. Yeah, Uh, It's a continuation of the general sense of hospitality, I think, that a lot of people had in those times that, You know, um, uh, Stephen Russell was up here for a meeting the other day. He preached a really good lesson on hospitality and he brought up that point that it seems like a lot of the people in the old Testament had more of a sense of hospitality than we do today. And, uh, I think that's on display here as well. Um, so Moses is content to live out there. And I wonder too, I I think about this too. It's a sense where, I feel like Moses at this point, he's he's saying, "Okay, I'm done with this." I think he, I think in his heart of hearts, he may have intended to live out his days in Midian,
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: because it says he was content to live with with the man. He gets a wife in Zipporah, right, 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 uh, right, and he has a son. I've been a stranger in a strange land, verse twenty two. And so, eventually, in verse twenty-three, we see the king of Egypt died, which again is another thing where most of the movies out there will portray it as if it's the same Pharaoh that he comes back to as the as when he left, but that's definitely not the case. And uh, we see the suffering of Israel being being you know broadcast up to God. And I want to say here too, I don't think it's a sense where God finally started to hear them. I think it's a sense where uh he 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 decides to put things in motion fairly soon in terms of in terms of Moses and we'll we'll talk more about that in a little bit Jesus. So let's bring other uh, threads throughout the Bible together into these chapters and maybe make some connections here. Um, when uh, One of the first things that, that I wanted to discuss too was, um, you know, if you go to Hebrews 11 and you, you see the text there and the way it deals with Moses, it gives us more of a... Uh, intricate consideration of what Moses is actually thinking and what his motivation is. So we go to Hebrews 11 and verse 23 by faith. Moses, when he was born was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the King's command by faith. Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. And... I, I, Obviously, Brian, we're going to revisit this text a good bit uh, over mm-hmm. the course of, of studying through Exodus. But uh, but you see so many different angles to this uh, from this passage that sort of inform us about uh, the motivations of not just Moses, but his parents as well.
0: Yeah, it seems like when it mentions that he was hidden by faith, um, I guess kind of like what I was mentioning just a minute ago it seems like when you when you connect that to Romans 1017 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God you know faith isn't just some elusive undefined mysterious concept you know you can have faith when you understand what God has said on a matter and you know it seems like with at least within a remnant of people who really loved God that God by by his grace had Preserved the verbal testimony of his promise, you know, down down the years, so that people knew. I think quite well. Obviously, even Moses, being raised an Egyptian, people knew really well that they were bound for deliverance. And uh, and and it seems like Moses's mother, uh, Jacobed, um, it seems like that was actually her motivation. Is when she saw her child was beautiful. Um, I've heard a brother relate that that idea of seeing he was beautiful, not just that, you know, the child was pretty to look at, but, you know, here is a child who can deliver us. Maybe he's the one, maybe this is the one that God is going to use. And and to me, that's just so special and just so amazing to think about that this this woman looked at this baby and her heart was just filled with with wonder and thought. And she was just captivated by the idea that this could be the one. And and then it's just so amazing to see that it was, you know, that, that what she was hoping and maybe even praying for, that that's exactly what God did.
1: And you further see, again, in in, in Acts 7, you mentioned what Stephen said. And I, I think, again, this is a passage we'll revisit. But in Acts 7 and verse 22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty mm-hmm. in words and deeds. Uh, so, just that one in itself tells us a lot about his upbringing in Egypt. Right. And that he had all of these, all of the advantages that a life in the Royal dynasty could have afforded. I have no doubt. And uh, in fact, you you know, you can, uh, I've heard too, uh, understood that you can actually uh, look back and see some of the things that Moses might've learned uh in in those universities or learning places however you want to say it uh so it it's just sort of fascinating to to know that god allowed for a situation where he became educated in really the best place to be educated at that time uh generally and so he knew all of the the things about the egyptians And then from that point, I think he, you know, there were, obviously there must've been some things that he learned from them that he used even down the line in, in, uh, in leading Israel. But here, you know, one of the things that I want to keep in mind too is that God allows Moses to, um, go from this very important place to a very humble place. And even when we see him, uh, we're going to see him at the burning bush, not in this place where he's ready to go save the world like he is in chapter two. Uh, he's much more hesitant, much more uh, humble. Uh, you might even say humble to a fault. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of things to, to think about there. Um, God uses proud people, but he doesn't use them to their own benefit. And uh, generally what you find throughout the scriptures is that the more humble a man is, the better he can be used by God toward his own benefit. And I think that's very clear in terms of Jesus. You think about the ways that he was, uh, he he emptied himself, um, all the ways that he uh, didn't think about himself, but thought about others. Uh, That's where Moses needs to get to. And I think that's all part of God's intentions here. I
0: noticed as you were referring to Acts 7 that in verse 25, it says that Moses was hoping that they understood God was granting deliverance through them, but they did not understand. I don't know if I've paid attention to that before, but I wonder if there's a, the the problem is that the people needed to understand Moses to be their deliverer, which would, would happen still later. And I wonder if there's a relation to Jesus. You know, Jesus was savior. He was deliverer when he was living, but the people did not understand. And so he was betrayed and killed. Um, And then there's a sense where in the book of Acts, even though he ascends through the apostles, he returns back to those very same people. And in one day, 3000 acknowledge that Jesus is their savior and deliverer. So I wonder if there's a connection there.
1: I can see a parallel there, especially, um, I I think there's a very clear parallel with, uh, uh, you know, 3000, what is it about 3000 die at the foot of Mount Sinai? Mm.
2: And then Mm. 3000
1: on the day of Pentecost are saved. There's gotta be some kind of parallel there. Um, but I I think what you say, I, I think it's very well taken, um, that, you know, Jesus he was going to do great things, but he himself knew that that was going to come in time. And, uh, he wasn't going to be doing those things at like, you know, however old he was. I think he was 12 years old when Joseph and Mary left him behind in Jerusalem. And, uh, they thought he was with, with family and they come back, he's teaching in the temple and asking questions really. And, but I think even then he's showing this, uh, respect and appreciation for the teachers that are there um and so i I don't know i don't know how much that relates necessarily to what you said there i could see the parallel that you're making there though um but i do think you know obviously jesus had the advantage of knowing having a greater understanding of of the plan and what was going to happen
0: Yeah, and and just like Moses was learned in all the ways of the Egyptians, Jesus understood the law perfectly and the customs of the Jews
1: as well. Yes, absolutely. He knew it better than than anyone in Jerusalem knew it. I think another thing we see here just generally is, you know, all throughout the scriptures, a a certain time and place for the way that God uh, saves his people. Even though he sees their suffering, he understands their bondage. Uh, he's not doing anything immediately, and uh, and that's just that's something that we see all throughout scriptures, and even something that the the Bible authors will will decry and cry aloud against God for. You know, why don't you do something about the suffering of your people? And uh, and just generally, you see all through there that that God has a plan, that God has a time for everything. Right. Yeah, it's almost like God
0: is working to put every piece into position so that it can be exactly what the people, what the people needed it to be so that they could be drawn to him as
1: much as possible through it. Yeah. And he does everything perfectly. And, uh, you know, next time I want to, uh, you know, next episode, I may go a little bit into, uh, the Pharaoh of the Exodus, um, but just generally, I think it's very possible that the Pharaoh of the Exodus might have been, uh, the Pharaoh at the mightiest part of Egypt's history. And, uh, if that's the case, it would make a whole lot of sense because God generally will take the strongest achievements of man and lay it to rubble. Right. And, uh, and that's exact. that's exactly what's going to happen with him and, and Pharaoh here is that. You know, Here's a proud man, he, here's a man who thinks he is the center of everything, and he's going to be humbled, and he's going to be shown by the Lord God who he really is, right? And and God is going to bless his people and bring them out from under bondage there to a good place, and that's his whole intention in this, and so we can appreciate that, and again, there's a general sense of that in all the scripture, that God always intends good for his people, Mm. and that he wants everyone really to be a part of his people. Right. And uh, so there's there's more that we could say there. but
2: Well,
0: one is chapter 1, verse 12. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. That just reminds me of Acts chapter 8, when the persecution broke out against the saints in Jerusalem. And yet, that great persecution, which you would think would start undermining the growth of the church, which is actually the key to its global expansion. And you see that thread progressing through the Book of Acts. You know, as the Christians are persecuted, they just preach more and more, and they go to more places. Second uh, Corinthians chapter four, uh, Paul talks about in verse seventeen how light afflictions are working for us to produce an eternal weight of glory. Uh, you think about Jesus, the more he was afflicted, the more the riches of the glory of God's mercies became known and were made available. So it just seems like that's, that's really a theme of God's character. The more, the more that God's people are afflicted, the more they multiply, the more the message spreads, the more the glory of God's love is seen. And I just think, I think that's really amazing. Are there any, are there any verses? I know this is kind of putting in the spot, Steve, but are there any other verses you can think of that relate to that, that idea of like being afflicted, but, you know, multiplying or growing spiritually through that.
1: Well, it makes me think of, uh, what Paul says, I think in second Corinthians. Yeah. Um, so first Corinthians four and verse seven, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence Mm. of the power may be of God and Mm. not of us. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. And so that that same general principle, I think, applies that the more... God's faithful people are beaten down, the more they can actually have true victory uh, in him. And and that victory doesn't always look that way in terms of the world.
0: Right. Right. Yep. Absolutely. It's, it's just the way faith turns things in the opposite. And on that note, um, one other, I guess, unusual theme, hopefully this will make sense, but, John 17, 3 says, you know, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. When Jesus came, he was the suffering servant. And he came to represent and to show the glory of the Father. I think as the servitude got worse and worse and worse and worse, the glory is the people could... Begin to know and understand God because God Himself, even in just creating the world, is under the harshest kind of servitude. You know, He's the one who serves us and He serves sinners. He gives sinners the ability to uh, reject Him, the ability to have jobs and affluence and joy, all while Himself being rejected and abused and spurned. And I mean how much God suffers because of sin is just absolutely unthinkable. And yet He serves every single living thing still. And and God's looking for relief through through Christians, through people who humble themselves and acknowledge him. And in any way, I think in verse 24 and 25, it, it just it seems like. At times when God really notices are times when the the heart of the person calling out to him, he recognizes something about their heart because it's so connected to his own heart. So I think we're not just learning about the deliverance of this people, but at the same time, God is teaching us about him, which I think is worth noting and very amazing.
2: Praise God.
1: So there's a number of ways that we want to be, of course, careful, and in some ways, just as careful with Exodus as we were with Genesis in terms of application. And we want to make sure that we're uh, not unjustly judging the characters that we're reading about. Again, if all we focus on with the midwives is, oh, well, they lied to Pharaoh. Okay, well, that's, you know, I don't, I think we can miss the point of the text if that's all we're looking at. And so uh, what, what what were some things, Bryant, that uh, really seemed to be uh, important to you in terms of application of these two chapters?
0: I think one of the things is right off the tail of what we were just talking about before the transition is how much we can trust God when things just look really bad. And I know that's so easy to say, but it's just so important to just stress that truth and 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 digest it as much as possible. They were suffering so much. Things looked so bad, but God had every piece in play to deliver them and to glorify himself through them in this suffering. So I think one of the applications is just in prayer and in suffering, having the assurance to know that God's love is with us and that just because our perspective is limited, we can at least anchor ourselves in knowing that God is faithful. And in verse 24, if, if we're His saints and children, He's made a covenant with us that He will not fail to keep. And so I just think this, this beginning of Exodus has such reassurance, uh, especially when, when we're suffering and going through difficulties that it just it
1: feels like we're down and defeated. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we can all uh, feel like we're in Egypt, right? To some degree, that we are right. enslaved yeah. to something yep. or someone. Sometimes, and and that was something that Brother Patty Kindlewall mentioned in the the previous episode that we all have our own Egypt that we need to uh, eg- exit from. We all have our own Exodus, uh, that right? We need to go right. Uh, undergo, and we can undergo that with God's mighty power, and that's exactly what God is going to show his people. And, you know, another thing that's related to that, I think Moses, once he realized, once he hit a point where he thought, he he realized, hey, there's really going to be resistance to this, uh, he ran away and he figured he was going to be done with this. But the truth is that, uh, you know, God has work for us all to do. Mm -hmm. And the more we try to run away from that, we can have a life away from god can't we we can mm-hmm. we can meet someone we can have a relationship we can even have children but if i'm not doing what god intends for me to do all of that is really going to be pointless i think if moses had just totally refused god i mean wh- I, I don't even want to think of what might have happened to him um and and we we can reject God just as much today and think that everything's okay when, when really it's not. I think that's just an important warning that the scriptures have for us there. Yeah. You know, kind of reaching back to um, not allowing uh, my heritage to dictate Mm -hmm. the way that I go. Um, How Mm -hmm. easy would it have been for Moses just to keep his mouth shut? And right, just kind right, of stay right. there in Egypt and do his thing
0: Yeah, that's a really good point Really, really good point Yep. Yeah, it really seems like that point right there It just it seems like there's so much evidence here That it's always more of a blessing to work with God's promises Even when it looks like on the surface and in the immediate circumstance That it's the more dangerous thing Yeah um, The midwives, you know, they worked with God's promise and, you know, that seems like they were intimidated by Pharaoh in some way, but in some ways they weren't. And God blessed them and uh, Jacobed, you know, hiding Moses, not fearing the edict of the king. And then um, Moses wanting to be a deliverer and God using that, you know, So there's just all this resistance, but yet God is providing and blessing. uh, He's providing for and blessing those who are working with his promises and faith.
1: Absolutely. And we can we can enjoy the same blessings in a sense. And you know, when you right. look at the New Testament, um, Christians are referred to as spiritual Israel. And right. and God wants to lead us out of enslavement and into freedom mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. his promised yeah. land. Yeah. yeah.
0: What a great point.
1: And sometimes it, it, it doesn't seem like anything's really happening. Sometimes it feels like mm-hmm. maybe God's mm-hmm. not doing anything. But the reality is that he is listening to us. He does see our struggles. And if we trust in him and if we trust in his deliverer, which, you know, we got to keep in mind, too. and We haven't said this yet. I don't know why, but we'll, we'll probably say it more. But Moses is a Christ type within the Old Testament because yeah, he is the one that is instrumental in delivering the Israelites from their enslavement. And so that's that's one thing we can appreciate is that Jesus is our deliverer. And for us to get out of this, we have to trust him and we have to understand that he is indeed sent from the father and that right. he is indeed the the deliverer that we should trust in and, and know and to have a relationship with.
0: Yeah. And, and I think last thing I'll say on
1: application
0: related to that is it's okay to be distressed and worn out by the difficulties of the world. What's really dangerous is when I'm no longer impacted at all by the evils of the world and the sins of those around me and even temptations in myself, you know. Uh, obviously, in 23 through 25, like them crying out to God and being distressed, that was an important acknowledgement of the reality that progressed things forward. And, and so, you know, I just encourage you, if, if you're listening and are going through some sort of difficulty, you know, because of the world or just because of uh, our, our our weak condition in the flesh. You know, it's it's okay, and and God wants actually to encourage us to face the reality of our need to be distressed by the world, but to find refuge and encouragement and hope in seeking Him in that, because He is going to save and He is going to bring relief. If not, if not in our lifetime, in in the judgment, we'll find such relief that every tear will be wiped away. And and I think that's such an encouraging hope that sustains us and anchors us, even when just like what you read, Stephen, in Second Corinthians 4, we may be, you know, crushed on every side and perplexed, you know, but yet Paul says, you know, but we're not, you know, we're not
1: uh, unstable now. It's we're still rejoicing and still grounded in the Lord. It's a contrast between what the world sees and the spiritual reality that's truly going on. Um, yeah, Pharaoh is never going to fully understand what is truly occurring here. As we right. go through the Exodus and we see what occurs in Egypt, he's not going to get it. And I'm afraid he's never really going to get it. I think he's going to come close to getting it, but he really isn't going to get it. And it's up to us to understand the mind of God that he has revealed in his word. And to appreciate that he's preserved these things for us to learn and we can learn them. And it just takes a trust in him to know that even though this looks bad, if I trust in the Lord, he'll get me through this and he'll help me and he'll, he'll be there for me. And, and part of that too is you think about when we cry out to God and here's something too, Brian that, that I, it's easy and I think I think this is a valid point. When we make the point that says, you know, if you're only crying out to God when you're having troubles, then that's not valid, right? If the only time I'm talking to God is when I'm having it rough, why why, are not, why am I not talking to God when things are going well? When we make that point, I think that's a valid point to make, but let's also appreciate that I think God is pleased when we're having troubles and we reach out to him. Now, I'm not saying he's Absolutely. pleased because we we we're having the troubles, <laughs> but, right. but, but when we're calling out to him, when we're crying out for his help, I mean, you think about, I think about what that does to me as, as a, as a dad, when I hear my son crying, I can pick that out even in a crowded room. And I know that he needs help or something's wrong or something needs to be sorted out. And maybe he's done something wrong. Maybe not but the whole point is that there is that concern that's there and he you know when the scriptures talk about god inclining his ear toward us that's what he's doing when we're crying out to him and let's not ever think that when we're in trouble that we don't need to be bothering god with these things you know he he knows what we're dealing with and he wants us to reach out to him and so we can right. reach out to him and we can find that comfort that we need that peace that we need to live in his kingdom. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to walking through the book today. We hope it was useful for you. And uh, next time, Lord willing, we'll be going into gen- uh, Genesis. I almost said Genesis, Bryant. We're going to be <laughs> going into Exodus chapter three uh, until that time. Oh, uh, thank you, Bryant, for being with us as well.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to, happy to do it. And always very encouraging.
1: Well, if there's nothing else, uh, we'll look forward to studying with you soon. And until then, uh, study well and be lights to God's glory.